Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Last week, actually the last two weeks, I worshiped with you from the beach, like literally. I sat in my beach chair and watched worship at Woodburn. It was, it was, a, it was kind of the best of both worlds, y'all. I, I, could, I could do that. Uh, but no, there's nothing like being with you. I'm so happy to be with you. Warren Weeks, man, I know you were with us this morning. God bless you. Watching us from a home in your gown. Um, <laughs> Uh, miss your brother. We got no internet today. Every alarm in the church is going off, but I think we got coffee. And I, and I, I think I unlocked most of the doors. So uh, Warren, we miss you. Warren Weeks, if you haven't heard, he fell from a ladder last Sunday uh, about 11 o'clock here at the church. He fell flat of his back, um, injured pretty badly. Warren has about 12 weeks in a in a brace uh, with uh, lots and lots of rehab, a concussion, multiple fractures, uh, followed by shoulder surgery, uh, broken ribs, um, but you can't keep a good man down. Uh, so uh, God bless you, one we love you. We'll be uh, trying to take good care of you as a church family over the next few weeks. You and Margie both, we love you so much. Open your Bibles to Genesis 39. Genesis chapter 39. I want to take a Sunday out of any series just to talk this morning about our lives as disciples, especially pertaining to our sexual lives, facing sexual temptation, and all of a sudden you're all flipping out, oh no, the preacher's talking about sex, how weird, uh, how awkward, um, and I'll hear about it, I mean, I will, somebody will tell me, Pastor Tim, I brought my mama today, brought my mama to church, and you talked about sex, you know how weird that was? Well. She's your mama. She knows. I mean, all about it. Come on. I mean, everybody grow up a little bit. Your mama, she knows all about it. I mean, uh, she knows. So I'm not telling your mama anything she doesn't know. Uh, oh, Pastor Tim, I, my boyfriend came to church today and he preached on sex. Well, good, good, good. Put him up here in the front. I'll preach it right to him. I mean, come on, y'all. I mean, um, I, I'm really not joking. Uh, it is not a good sign for any congregation in our day and age, in our culture, if we can't talk openly about something that the world talks in an increasingly vulgar way all day long, everywhere you go. I mean, it is absolutely alarming in my lifetime just to see how very, very rapidly our culture has embraced absolute vulgarity and sexual perversion everywhere you look. And we just simply cannot leave one another to the world when it comes to this important part of our lives as disciples. And we certainly can't abandon our children. You see, some of you, some of the same people, you say, Pastor Tim, I don't think you should talk about sex from the pulpit. You're going to be the first one when you find pornography on your son's telephone, you're going to bring him to my office and leave him. You understand? And so there is some sense in which you need to get used to talking about these things. I mean, for that matter, you gave your child, you know, when she was 11 years old, a telephone, but you never actually explained to her how one day guys would ask her to send naked pictures on it. You know, this tendency not to talk about these things is not healthy for us. It's not healthy. And we need to become a little more comfortable as the people of God talking about sexual matters, especially from a biblical point of view, and that's what I want, I want to try to do, not just today, but for several Sundays here in the, ne in the next, next little bit. Genesis chapter 39 is where we will be today. Uh, one pastor felt the same need that I feel uh, to do a better job discipling his congregation on these issues, but he, he felt like it would be better to have a guest preacher come in and do it, <laughs> so he brought in a, a guest speaker who spoke that particular day. It was a little country church 
And uh, the guests that day talked about sexual issues, sexual temptation, sexual lives as disciples. Um, at the end of the service, they had an invitation. Nobody went to the altar. I mean, nobody's going to go to the altar today. I know that. Uh, no, nobody wants to do that. But that particular Sunday in that little bitty church, when, when the service was over, a teenage boy stood up and he said, I, I want to speak. And that teenage boy stood up in his church that day and he confessed to a horrible habit of looking at pornography on his cell phone. Um, and he begged the congregation for help and support. And then he sat down and nobody said a word. Just nobody said a word. It's just awkward and weird and nobody knew what to say. He just sat down and he was weeping. When people, people said he was so nervous they thought he would pass out. And then he sat down and nobody had anything to say. And so at a moment, a 72-year-old woman stood up in the church, small church. Everybody knows everybody. 72-year-old woman stood up and she said, I just want to... I just want to commend my little brother for standing up this morning and being so courageous and being so vulnerable and being willing to share his struggle. She said, and I just want to stand here with him and I want to tell the whole church family I struggle too. 72-year-old woman, y'all. She's a church lady. She had blue hair. She said, I struggle too. She said, as you all know, my husband died years ago. And I find myself every single night laying in my empty bed, just wishing I had somebody to hold and to be with. I, I just miss being with somebody so very, very much. And I just wanted to stand here with my young Christian brother today and say, I understand what he's dealing with. Isn't that amazing? I mean, from, from two different generations, from, from different genders, but being able to stand up in the body of Christ, they say that that day in that little country church, God's grace was poured out in a miraculous way. Could anything like that happen with us? We would have to be willing to be a, a lot more open uh, about these issues, and, and so far we never have been. That doesn't mean we don't have issues. I've been your pastor for 25 years, you all. I know you got issues. You'll come to my office and you'll talk about the failure of your marriage because of the affair that one or the other of you has been having. I mean, we do talk about teenagers a lot with, with all of the sexual stimulation that comes from them from every single side. I mean, we can talk about it in every room, but this one. I think it would require a lot more personal vulnerability from us. We'd have to be willing sometimes to tell somebody, I'm struggling, I'm suffering. I, I don't really know how to, how to break these habits. I don't know how to turn away. I mean, I mean, at some point, we'd have to be pretty personal and vulnerable, and, and we're not very good at doing that either, let's be honest. I know that one day I, I will stand before God and I will give an account to him for the way I've discipled this flock for 25 years. And I know that I will have to give an account for the way in which I've discipled you in this area also. I mean, good night. Last year in COVID, I know of a woman in her 90s who was sexually assaulted on a date with a man that she had met in church. I mean, she had nobody to talk to. This is not good, you all. The silence 
not just in our congregation, but, but among the body of Christ in general. I mean, the whole world sings and, and, and talks about sex all the time, but we get to church and all of a sudden it's too awkward, it's too personal. We're abandoning one another in this most important area of our lives, and we're failing in these areas of our lives, and we have no help from one another. So will you give me permission today to just talk? From Genesis chapter 39, if, if you think that what I'm saying is new because you haven't heard it before, I just want to remind you it's one of the oldest stories in the book. There ain't nothing new with sex either, y'all. I mean, you know, I mean, some of us as older folks think, my goodness, I don't know, even know how to talk to kids these days. Well, it, sex hadn't changed, y'all. I mean, since Adam and Eve. I mean, there ain't nothing new invented. I mean, not, not at all. And you'll find here, Genesis chapter 39, I'm about to introduce you to a woman named Mrs. Potiphar. She knew all about it. Uh, it turns out so did Joseph, and, and what a great young man he is. Genesis chapter 39, let's just read the story. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of this master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph, he didn't have to worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak until her husband came home. Then she told him her story, that Hebrew slave you brought me into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Well, 
I can say this, if you know the story of Joseph at all, he's probably the least likely candidate to emerge as this, you know, uh, paradigm of sexual integrity. I mean, Joseph, if you know anything about his family, if you haven't read the book of Genesis, read the book of Genesis, you all. I mean, in the book of Genesis, you read about Joseph's family. We know his daddy. Joseph's daddy couldn't have taught him any of this, at least in terms of, you know, how to live a life of sexual integrity because Joseph's father didn't have any. He had four different women that we know of, and he had children with all four women. I mean, that, that's his dad. This is the world in which Joseph grew up. When Joseph is a, a child, his sister Dinah is raped. It's, it's a horrible story in the book of Genesis. It is not a PG story. That's why we don't do it in Sunday school. His sister is raped. It, 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 it pretty much it turns into this entire war. And at the end of all of that, Joseph's daddy is only upset for the fact that it might cost him in the terms of reputation and maybe financially. You know, the rape of his daughter and everything that followed that. His daddy isn't going to be able to help him here. Lord knows the world around him isn't going to help him because the world around Joseph in those days is going to hell fast. I mean, there really are no examples of sexual righteousness or integrity in Joseph's life. I can't find a single one. Which is what makes this story so amazing. This is the point in Joseph's life when you know that Joseph is going to be something different, that God's going to do something with him. It's at this moment right here. Now, Joseph, I mean, like I say, a little bit of a surprise even here that he turns out it does anything good because so far he's mostly just been a punk. Joseph's got brothers. They all hate him. If you read the story, you'd hate him too. They hated him so much that they, they threw him in a pit. You would have thrown him in a pit too. He was arrogant. He bragged. He was a tattletale. I mean, in every single way that a little brother could be a punk, he was a punk little brother, and they despised him. Threw him in a pit. Then they realized, oh gosh, we can't throw our brother in a pit. So they took him out of the pit and they sold him to human traffickers. Sold him into slavery. So Joseph ends up as a slave and he ends up in the land of Egypt. He is bought by a man named Potiphar who is a high up official from the king of Egypt. And uh, that's how Joseph ends up here in Potiphar's house. The scripture says the Lord is with him. Now, that's good. We're not surprised to know that the Lord is with him. But we just wonder what that means. So far, all that we know at the beginning of the story is the fact that the Lord is with him means that he succeeds in everything. He just continues to rise above everything else. But, but that, that tells us one thing, but it doesn't tell us another thing. It doesn't tell us what's happening in Joseph's heart. Is he becoming a different kind of man or is he still that arrogant punk that anybody alive would throw in a pit. This is the moment when you know the kind of man he's becoming. Y'all see that? This is the moment when we understand it's this moment. God's doing something in his heart. Joseph's going to be a different kind of man. So Joseph is put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. I mean, he's, I guess you'd call him the butler. I, I don't know. He, he, he has run of the house, and he has authority over all the other servants. I mean, Joseph is becoming an amazing man of integrity. He's a hard worker. He's dependable. He's reliable. It turns out he's righteous. 
we find this out because of. One day, Potiphar's wife, well, we don't know her actual name. We'll just call her Mrs. Potiphar, right? So Mrs. Potiphar looks out the window and she sees Dave, you know, Joseph cleaning the gutters without his shirt on and she likes it. You know, I mean, she just likes what she sees. And so pretty soon, anytime, you know, Joseph's outside, you know, she's looking out the window, you know, making eyes at him, you know, this nasty old lady. And, and, and then she just starts, you know, making passes at him. I mean, because, you know, Potiphar's never home. Joseph's in charge of everything. Potiphar's wife, you know, she's watching young and arrested in her yoga pants. But beyond that, she don't have anything to do all day but, you know, sit around and think nasty thoughts. And that's what she does. So she comes after Joseph. I mean, she wants him in her bed. You'll see there uh, in the scripture, she, you know, asks for exactly what she wants, uh, in the Hebrew, it's only two words in verse 7. New Living Translation says, come and sleep with me. But in the Hebrew, she only uses two words, and neither one of them is a nice word. She tells him what she wants. Joseph refuses in verse 8. And that's when you know. That's when you know. Joseph's going to be a good man. Joseph is going to be a real man because God is with him and God is in him. He's going to be different. He's not going to be like his daddy. He's not going to be like other men in the culture. He's going to be a man of God. Man, my heart really just goes out for young men in our church. Boys trying to grow up to be men in this world. I had a good dad. My, my, my dad's a faithful man. My dad taught me about sexual things. My dad's a farmer, y'all, and a factory worker, so he taught me in simple words with agricultural illustrations. My dad got some of the words wrong, to be honest. I love my daddy. My daddy probably knows the Bible, probably knows more about the Bible than he knows about sex, and so, uh, I mean, it's just true, y'all. My my dad's a great man. Um, My dad was, in in science class, I, I learned the word genitals, it's a sexual word, genitals, means, you know, sexual body parts. Um, my dad used the word Gentiles <laughs> when he was telling me about sex. He, he, you know, talk about, you know, protecting my Gentiles. <laughs> but I love him for that. You know, man, he was, he started a conversation which is a whole lot more than some of your daddies will ever do. I mean, if, if your parents can't talk to you, who's going to talk to you? I mean, if, if we don't teach our kids, and let's be honest, we're not teaching our kids. I'm not even sure that some of you believe what the Bible teaches about sexuality because you haven't taught your kids and you haven't taught your grandkids. I mean, all of these years... This has never come up. When I get couples in for premarital counseling and I talk about, you know, the sin of sex outside of marriage, I am sometimes, it seems like the first person that told them that. Joseph's daddy isn't going to help him, but, but Joseph just becomes this man, and this is how we know. This is how we know. 
Now, in our culture, if you tell this story, I mean, this would make a good movie, right? You know, and they get Beyonce or somebody to play Mrs. Potiphar. I mean, they get somebody like, you know, that, that looks good. And Joseph would be, you know, some hot young thing too. And, and y'all know how this would go because in the world, this is a great story, but in the world, it's supposed to turn out differently. I mean, in the world, this is supposed to be a young man's dream to have an older woman to make him a man, to teach him, you know, how, you know, how a man and woman, I mean, to have a teacher like this. I mean, this is the stuff of movies. And if Joseph had gone the other way, if Joseph had failed, man, we'd line up to make excuses for him. But what else could he do? He's a young man with hormones raging. He's a slave in the house. I mean, we'd have all kinds of reasons. We could rationalize in a thousand ways away his sin. But Joseph refuses, and this is how you know right here, this is going to be a different kind of man. Because can I just tell you, Joseph does not need Mrs. Potiphar to make him a man. He does not need that. And, and can I speak to the young men a moment? You don't need a woman to make you a man either. If you're not a man without a woman, I'm telling you, a woman can't help you. She can't. And, 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 and living out your life sexually isn't what makes you a man. And if, if you feel like you've got to prove yourself as a man with a woman, I'm telling you, you're already some kind of weak kind of non-man. Because that's not how men operate. That's not what men are. Joseph does not need Mrs. Potiphar to make him a man, and you don't either. You, you don't. What you need is to learn to understand who you are before the Lord, who you are in Christ. It is Christ, Christ himself, who can help you understand who you are. In our culture, people want to label and identify themselves sexually, and it's insane. It's just insane. People want to throw a parade and have pride in their sexuality. What are you talking about? That that's the least important part of who you are? It's a part of who you are, but it's not your identity. It doesn't define who you are. What is wrong with you? You would erase everything that God has put in you and everything that God has breathed in you and all the marvelous things that God has made about you and make yourself just simply a sexual being and you would make that your whole identity? Please, please understand that when it comes to who you are as a man, who you are as a woman, you will discover that by following Jesus. You follow Jesus, and Jesus will help you understand who you are and who you're meant to be. But I promise you, you're never going to find out who you are as a man or a woman by following what the world says a man or a woman must be, because the world is messed up. The world doesn't know. Can you not just look around and understand that the world doesn't know? They don't know what it means to be a man. They don't know what it is to be a woman. They do not know. And if you continue to listen to the world and follow the world, you're going to be as messed up as everybody else. Nobody else is going to tell you this. Nobody else, and our culture continues to move headlong in a direction where fewer and fewer people will stand up for biblical sexuality and biblical morality, and that's why if we don't say it, nobody's gonna hear it. If we don't say it, nobody's gonna hear it. If we don't believe it, nobody's gonna believe it. You become the man or woman you're meant to be by following Jesus. I assume you don't understand. I'm probably just going to turn out like my daddy. No, your goal is not to be like your daddy. Your goal is to be like Jesus. 
man or woman, it doesn't matter. You have the same example. His name is Jesus. You follow Jesus. You want to understand how God made you as a woman? You just continue to follow Jesus. He'll reveal that to you. You don't have to be a woman like the world says be a woman. You can be a tomboy if you want to be a tomboy. You can be a prissy girl if you want to be a prissy girl. You can be a sissy boy if you want to be a sissy boy. I'm telling you, there are lots and lots of ways to be a man or a woman, but I'm telling you, there's only one way to be a Christian, and that's to follow Jesus. You're Christian first. You follow Jesus. Joseph does not need Mrs. Potiphar to make him a man. What he needs to do is stand up and be a man, and this is a moment when he does it, and this is when we know that Joseph's going to be okay. God's with him. God's using him. He's going to one day himself lead all of Egypt. He's going to be a great leader. But here's how you know he's going to be a great leader, because he knows how to lead himself. He knows how to lead himself. And understand, there ain't nobody around. He could do this, and nobody would know. Nobody would know. The definition about character. Character is the person you are when nobody's around, you know. This is Joseph right here standing up with character. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Verse 8, Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Joseph refused. Man, I love it. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. He kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around. He went to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanded, come and sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, left his cloak in her hand, and he ran from the house. Now, the word for cloak there, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. It's, you read cloak, and you're thinking like his hoodie, well, like his jacket. But no, it's something in between. It's not his jacket, because if she got his jacket done, don't mean nothing. You know, he could have taken his jacket off because he was raking leaves. She got some article of clothing that, that would be embarrassing. When Joseph runs out, he is in some sort of state of undress, but not by his choice. Understand, she is tearing his clothes off of him. So when he flees, it is some scandalous sort of state of undress, but he is a righteous man, and all this woman got left is, you know, like his skivvies and a lie, and that's what she does. She lies. But Joseph runs away. Joseph runs away with his integrity, and I happen to love that. It's one of the oldest stories in the book, but it matches right up with what the Scripture says about sexual temptation. And I want to put this verse in front of you. I want you to find this verse in your Bible. I want you to underline this verse. If you want to get a good tattoo, this will be a good one. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul says, say the word, run, run, run from sexual sin. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We're talking to believers here. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. What was the price? Yeah, the blood of Jesus. The very life and blood of Jesus. God brought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. What Jesus has done for you in salvation, it affects your soul as he saves your soul. But it affects your body. 
And you're expected to glorify God in your body. What you do with your body matters deeply and greatly to Jesus. Now, the interesting thing here is most everywhere else in the Bible when it talks about dealing with temptation, what are we told to do? Put on the full armor of God. The helmet of salvation, the the, the gospel of peace for shoes on our feet, the shield of faith, the sword of the word, all of that. We put on the full armor of God and we stand and we stand strong and we fight. Except when it comes to one kind of sin. Sexual sin and then our advice is to run, run. Don't stand and fight. Don't stand and fight because that's stupid. Don't. Don't. You run. You run from sexual sin. You you run. You run. I think the King James word is to flee, right? Get out of there. Get out of there. In any moment of sexual temptation, get out of there. You run. You you flee. Are y'all with me? Y'all okay? Run. Run from sexual sin. Now, Paul goes on to explain how sexual sin itself is different. Now, it doesn't mean it's darker than every other sin. It doesn't mean God can't forgive sexual sin. Of course he can. Of course God's grace covers our sexual sin. But you still got to understand that there is sexual sin, and you don't want any part of it. Run from it. But see, we don't do that. We don't do that. In every conversation with teenagers about sexual sin, you know, what's their next question? Well, exactly, you know, how far can I go? You understand? You understand that thinking? Like, okay, Pastor Jim, I understand that there's probably, there's probably a line drawn where what I'm doing becomes sin, but where exactly is the line? And why does everybody want to know where the line is? Because they want to, you know, live right on it. You want to get as close as you can to that line and just sort of live right there. But that is not biblical. That's not smart. You're supposed to say the word, run, run. Not see how close you can get, not to flirt with it. You understand? You run from sexual sin. You run. You flee. You don't play with this because you're playing with fire. You don't. Now, we say run. That means we're going we're to take some sometimes very dramatic measures to separate ourselves from the opportunity to sin sexually. And, and I don't know what you need to do. You need to run. But running in your life might mean you have to cancel Netflix. Because y'all know by now about two-thirds of Netflix is absolute sexual garbage. It's garbage. You may have to cancel Netflix. I can't cancel Netflix. Well, you might. You may have to give up the Internet. I mean, listen to me. It, it is now statistically a fact that a third of teenage girls are involved with pornography on their devices. Girls. Used to be we thought that was just a boy problem. It was probably never just a boy problem. But now there is a tremendous, tremendous horror going on in the lives of our girls. I was at Jonathan Creek Camp Crossings with teenagers early last month. And uh, man, just talking to those girls and hearing them talk about boys and um, I don't know if it's true, but one girl told me that every girl in her school, every girl she knows has been asked to send naked pictures of herself, you know, on her phone to some boy. I mean, like, what? You're talking about, your, you're talking about our kids, y'all. 
you got to run. That, that means maybe, maybe your 11-year-old kid doesn't need a phone with the Internet. Well, i got to be able to call her. Yeah, but she doesn't need to be able to go on Pornhub.com. Do you understand? I mean, think. Use your brain. What does an 11-year-old need with a phone with the Internet? When my son was growing up, our, our solution was to leave the computer in a public place. That's what we used to say. And this wasn't that many years ago, y'all. You just left the computer in a public place in the house so nobody could just disappear in the back of the house and start looking at things they shouldn't look at. So you keep the computer in a public part of the house. But now every member of your family has their own device in their pocket. Maybe you don't need a device in your pocket. I mean, you know, Jesus himself says, if your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And I mean, if your iPhone causes you to sin, get rid of it. I mean, you come into my office, Pastor Tim, you know, I've got this problem with pornography. I can't stop looking. Get rid of your iPad. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. You don't need it. Sexual sin will destroy you. It is poison. It will ruin your marriage. It will ruin your life. Just get rid of it. I promise you. You need holiness more than you need an iPad. I mean, some of you, while you're amen in here, some of you probably need to change departments at work. You're having some very serious, unholy thoughts about that person at work that, that smells really nice and smiles at you from across the way. Maybe you need to change departments. Maybe you need to change offices. Maybe you need to change jobs. You flee. You run from sexual sin. Well, Pastor Tim, I can't do that. I can't change departments. I've worked hard to be where I am. Well, just go right on ahead, honey. But understand where sexual sin takes you. You run from sexual sin. We're talking about taking drastic measures. Pastor Tim, you're exaggerating. I got this under control. This thing won't happen to us. I just sometimes, you know, I look at pornography when I'm stressed just to sort of blow off some steam. Yeah, dude, you just go right on ahead. Because don't you understand? You're already at the place where you prefer pornography as opposed to walking down the hallway and, and, and enjoying intimacy with your own wife. There's something wrong with you, sir. There's something wrong with you, and you don't even see it. The Scripture says run. Run from sexual sin. Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Apparently, you don't know that. Teach your daughter that, that the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. Teach your sons that. Teach your daughters that. You need to understand that for yourself. God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Quickly, how does that work? Let's look at Joseph, and let's just learn a couple of lessons from Joseph, and I'll be done. Joseph refused, verse eight, look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. I know this sounds really basic, but if I can just tell you, you know, one thing, just call it what it is, sin. Just, just do that. At least be honest. Could call it sin. You're living with your boyfriend, y'all are having sex. That's sin. You can say it's just, you know, but you know, but you know, it makes so much financial sense. Okay, it makes financial sense. It's still sin. 
I don't know what price you would put on your purity or your holiness, but obviously your holiness is on discount because you trade it for financial gain, whatever. Call it sin. You know, that's why I want to say, Pastor Tim, you know, you, you know, I've been living with my girlfriend. I know that was a sin when you were younger. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, it was a sin when I was younger. Um, it's in the Bible, you all. I mean, it was a sin for Joseph. Joseph says, I'm not going to do this wicked thing and be a sin against God. I mean, Joseph calls it what it is. Yeah, but Pastor Tim, it's 2021. The world is changing People are coming out. I understand all that. It's still sin, y'all. It's still sin. Pastor Tim, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Okay, but I want to be on the right side of truth. I'm on the right side of the Bible. I mean, I love people. I love people, and I want to go as far as I can toward loving people, but I'm not going to go so far as to quit calling sin, sin. And understand, it's not just sin when other people do it. It's sin when you do it. It's sin when I do it. It's sin. It's sin. Any sexual interaction outside of the marriage relationship of a husband and a wife is sin. So, yeah, your internet pornography addiction, that's sin. Sending pictures of yourself that you should not send to other people, that's sin. That flirtation that you're getting involved in at school or in, in, in the office, that's sin. Call it what it is. Because when you don't call it what it is, then you won't do what you need to do to avoid it. I mean, Joseph, man, he's on top of this. How could I do such a, I mean, how could I do such a, how could I do such a wicked thing? It's a great sin against God. I love that. He's talked about Potiphar. He said, man, Potiphar, trust me. I mean, Potiphar, you know, trust me. And I don't want to, I don't want to betray Potiphar. But notice, I mean, the big thing here is, man, I'm going to do this against God. I mean, in Joseph's life, I mean, for all the, he's been a punk, and yeah, he's been the kind of guy that everybody would throw into a pit, but at this point in his life, man, he's becoming a different kind of man, and he loves God, loves the Lord, and he says, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I mean, he loves the Lord so much that he's not going to sin in any way that he knows would dishonor or displease the Lord. I'm not going to do this against God. Can I just ask you why that seems to be missing from your heart? I mean, that right there, that, you know, I, I just love the Lord, and, and I'm not going to do anything to displease the Lord. I mean, why is that not a part of the way you think? I, I know that sin, sexual sin, always feels good. I mean, if it doesn't feel good, you're doing it wrong. Can I just tell you that? I mean, sexual sin always feels good, but it's only for the moment. And, and, and what you give up in that moment, you never get back. And, and the, the path that you start down with sexual sin takes you to, to a place that you don't necessarily want to be, but you don't think about any of that because you don't call it sin. You, you find some way to rationalize what you're doing or tell yourself that you're strong and you can handle it, or it's different for y'all because, you know, y'all are Christians, or it's different for y'all because it makes so much financial sense, whatever, but just call it what it is, sin, because that's what Joseph does. And Joseph comes out on the right side of this. Maybe learn this on the front end, call it sin. Just, just call it sin. And then the next thing, I mean, I know this sounds like what, but just like control yourself. Just control yourself. Like every song about sex on the radio, you know, always is like people out of control. You know, in, in every movie, you know, like you got, you know, a couple in an airplane, you know, bathroom, and all of a sudden they go crazy. Okay, y'all know that's... Y'all been in an airplane bathroom? I mean, like, I, I can't, like, do what I need to do in there by myself. 
And so all that's fiction, and it's also fiction that you're just in this and you can't control it. Like all of a sudden, hormones or desire, you're, you're like just like tearing everything off and going crazy. No, no, you are not a monkey in season. You are a child of God and you can control yourself. I mean, self-control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So you can tell yourself no. You can control what happens with your own body. You can control your habits. You can control all of this if you have the Holy Spirit. Control yourself. Control yourself. Young man, young woman, you live for the Lord. You control yourself. It doesn't matter what your friends do. It doesn't matter what they do on the movies. It doesn't matter. You stand before the Lord and you control yourself. And I'm not just talking to young people. I've spent enough time with senior adults to know about senior adults. Mrs. Potiphar was a senior adult. Control yourself. One more thing. Um... I know that some of you right now are thinking, Pastor Tim, I can't control myself. I can't. I know that there are young men in this room right now in the sound of my voice who, I mean, some of you, you watch pornography on the same device you're watching this service on. Think about that. Same device. And I know that you want to stop. And you want to control yourself. And, and you do wish that you had the, you know, the, power the courage to a break free, but you can't. You've tried, and, and honestly, you, you would say, Pastor, if I could do it, I would do it. I can't do it. How do I do it? Um, I can't answer like all of your personal questions. I'd be perfectly willing to talk to you. I'd be perfectly willing to talk to you, but can I just tell everybody a couple of things? Um, and the main thing is this right here. Uh, sin gains power in secrecy. Basic principle, sin gains power in secrecy. So whatever sin that you commit in secret, it, it takes a different kind of power over you. So this is why sexual sin is often so enslaving. Because for the most part, these are our most private thoughts, our most private moments. Like we don't talk to anybody about the, you know, the, what we think is the dirtiness and nastiness in us. We just don't want to show it. We don't want to reveal it. And so our sexual sin is most often the most secret part of our lives. That's why after you've spent an hour on the internet, dude, you have to you know, erase all of your history, your internet history, out of fear that your mama or your wife would, would find that. It's, it's the secrecy. And I just want to tell you, it's the secrecy that gives it its power. And that's why it's so devastating that in church we can't talk about any of this. That we have so many men who really need help, but they don't know how to tell anybody what they're doing because it's just, it's so shameful and you don't want people to think less of you and you don't want people to know. But it's just that cycle of secrecy and sin and that's what keeps you enslaved. That, that's what continues to keep us all in bondage to our sexual desires and habits. Sin gains power in secrecy. And so I just want to encourage you to talk to somebody. If you're a young person in this room, you've got a small group leader, but I, go to your dad. <laughs> I know. I've already, I, I, before this day is over, I have parents saying, Pastor Tim, what are you doing to us? You know, my kid on the way home is going to be asking me about this. Good. 
Good. Well, I don't know what to say. What am I going to say? I'll tell you what to say. First off, you want your child to know that you are a source of information. You want them to know that they can talk to you. So what you just, I mean, if you panic and drive the car off the road, your kid's going to get there. They're going to think, oh, my goodness, I, I should never have asked that. Don't ever ask that. He freaks out. So what you just need to say is, I'm so glad you asked. I mean, practice it. Say it now. Do say it with me. I'm so glad you asked. And then say this. I know all about it. <laughs> say it. I'm so glad you asked. I know all about it. Because you know all about it. You had kids. You know all about it. Stop thinking that you can't disciple your own children on the most important matter here. It's not a bad thing if your kid asks. I hope they do. We got kids in this room that have made a mark on a piece of paper every time the preacher said sex. Good. Good. Talk about it with your children. Talk about it with your parents. Talk about this. Because I'm telling you, you're not talking to your kids about sex, but everybody else is. I would rather any woman in this church teach their daughter about sex than let Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion teach them about sex. And if you don't know who they are, your daughter does. That should horrify you. Talk to your parents. Talk to a counselor. I mean, some of you are thinking, man, I can't talk to anybody. I don't want anybody to know. Well, this is why you pay counselors. It's, ma it's, it's magical. Find yourself a good Christian counselor that you don't know, and then just go and just tell them everything. And then pay the bill and walk out. You know, because you don't have to see them, you don't have to face them. They will give you good counsel. They'll help you get set free. They'll pray with you. But then you don't have to, you know, manage a relationship with them. You don't have to see them. Go to a counselor. We could talk to one another. I mean, we really could. I'm not saying I don't need to preach on sex every single Sunday. Some of you couldn't take it, I know. But um, it needs to be a conversation we can have within the body of Christ. Because uh, sin gains power in secrecy. And, and dirty secrets only make you feel dirtier. And the dirtier you feel sometimes, the dirtier things you decide to do. So this matter of sin in our lives, it's important. Your, your sexual integrity as a disciple of Jesus is important. So if you can't, won't talk to anybody else, tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Pray with me. Lord God, you have made us body, mind, and soul. Lord, so many of us, our minds are so twisted with sexual thoughts, with sexual desires, fantasies. Lord, will you please renew our minds? Our souls, Lord, are so enslaved by sin, our inability, Lord, to call sin, sin, our unwillingness to run from temptation. Lord God, will you renew our souls? Will you pour out the fruit of the Spirit that we may be self-controlled? that we may learn to be holy as you are holy, that we may learn to love purity once more. And God, one way or the other, our bodies are temples of your Holy Spirit given to us, Lord, by you yourself. You have given us your spirit that takes up residence within our own bodies, Lord. It's horrifying to think where we have taken your Holy Spirit, the things in which we've engaged as a temple of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we are ashamed but we come to you now, Lord God, and ask you to wash us and make us clean.
Lord, renew our minds, cleanse our souls, renew our bodies, Lord, that we may glorify you, body, mind, and soul. God, we're not perfect people. Lord, we do really want to be people who love you more than anything else, more than the world, more than our own bodies. Help us, Lord, to uh, want to please you in all we say and in everything we do with our bodies. We bring it all to you now, Lord Jesus, we pray in your precious name. Amen.